Jesus loves to speak figuratively. He likes to use figurative language, but in his figurative language, we find deep truth. So in today's text, he talks about three different parties involved in this little parable that he gives. And these three different parties that are involved are himself, Satan, and us. He illustrates this by speaking about the shepherd, the sheep, and the wolf. You know, as I was studying for this message, I was, I was thinking about some relatable material to what it's like to be lost. And I don't know if you have ever been somewhere and been lost before. Thank God today we have, we have GPS, so it can pretty much get you out of anywhere. But I remember when I was a small child, my grandma lived down at Lake Ponderosa close to Montezuma. And there was a grocery store that we'd go into in Montezuma. And I, I don't remember how old I was, and I can't remember the exact details. I believe I was with my mom and dad. There was an, there was an adult present. I was probably four or five. And I was wandering around the store, and next thing I know, I turn around, and there is no one with me. And I run out of that aisle, and I run to the next aisle, and I don't see anyone. And I run to the next aisle, and I don't see anyone there. And eventually, I heard a call out for my name. And all of a sudden, there was comfort and security, and I, I ran and found them. And that's what Jesus is saying he offers you today. I want you to turn John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. If you're reading an electronic Bible, I read out of the New Living Translation. And let's go ahead and begin. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Everyone say amen. amen. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he is working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. 
They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the words of your Son. And God, as today as we read, there's a lot of deep truth here revealing who he is and, and what he does and how we connect with you, Father. Lord, I pray that, that, that just one sentence today could be seared to everyone's heart, Lord, and they take something from that and they desire to draw closer to you. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I read this story, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I love figurative language. I, I, love, I love when Jesus can illustrate something through a great story, and then you see how every point lines up into who he is. And as we're reading this, there's these three figures that he's talking about. There is the shepherd... There is the sheep, and there is the wolf. And we hear that term sheep, and you, you, you might wonder, what does it mean to be a sheep? And I don't know about you, but I hear it, and especially in today's culture, it almost seems offensive to be called a sheep, right? That, that can be pretty offensive. And so what I want us to do is I want us to drop the offensive idea about being called a sheep for just a moment because even though calling someone a sheep today could seem pretty derogatory, I want to stress to you that even trailblazers, even those entrepreneurs, they have people that they have followed. They have people that they have learned from and become who they are, right? Every single person, they don't do it on their own. They've done it because someone helped mold and shape them and showed them the way they needed to go. You might look to others as past examples or for encouragement, or maybe there was someone in your life, a significant person who helped develop your belief system. So my point is, even without faith in Jesus Christ, people are following something. They're following something. And so that begins to mold and shape how they think. A view of morality, politics, and ethics might come from all these people who surround them. And so for Jesus to refer to us as sheep is recognizing that we are looking for someone to lead us and protect us. So ultimately you have a choice to make. Who or what are you going to follow? Because I believe that God has created a, within each and every one of us a desire for purpose and understanding into our creation. Think about how many theories are out there about our existence alone, right? And God creating this desire, it's not by accident, Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It says, yet God, everyone say yet. yet. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. 
He has planted eternity in the human heart. I want to say that again. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to end. So naturally, by God planting eternity in our hearts, that that we are all searching for answers. And we know, we know that many people turn to the wrong places for answers, and the places that they are turning to can leave them in much confusion and hurt. You know, I was thinking about our culture today. And I was thinking, when, when I was growing up, culture has definitely shifted over the past 35 years, right? 35, 40 years. And, and where it has shifted is interesting because people aren't seeking purpose for living as much anymore. Instead, our, our culture, what it has done in, in purpose of why we were created, in purpose for what happens after we die, what has changed is our culture has sexualized purpose. When you think about it, everyone is trying to find an identity according to some form of sexualization out there. And, and we have determined that it's this false liberation based off identity. And I'm telling you guys that this is satanic in nature. And I know that when I use the word satanic, some people might recoil and they may be, hold on, wait a second. I don't understand how that can be satanic. Well, I want you to, I want to explain. Satan wanted to make himself God. He wanted to make himself God. He wanted people to bow down and worship him. He placed himself on equal footing with God. And what is taking place now is we are stripping back God's design and people are trying to create their own design. Is everyone following me so far? I read an article last week. There are kids... Here in the Des Moines School District, I don't know what school it's at, I don't know if it matters, that are identifying as cats. It's true. To where there have even been reports of parents telling the school they need to put litter boxes in the back bathroom. Now, now I, 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 saying this, and you, you, know, you, you hear the absurdity about it, but the reality is, and I challenge you, go out, go, go to Google, you will find article after article about this, and it's happening. And so what, what we're seeing is that this is a perversion of God's design, and it's satanic. And it comes back down to one thing, guys. It comes down to one thing. People are searching. I want you to hear my heart on this. People are searching. I, so, some hear about these things and they, they might say, oh man, this is a terrible time for the church. I'm going to argue the opposite. I'm going to argue the very opposite thing. I believe that this is the best time for the church if we approach this with the heart of Christ. Not offering, and I I want you to hear me out, not offering condemnation, but showing them true purpose. Because because that purpose is found in Jesus Christ, and, and we need Jesus as our shepherd. We need to know the right way, the right direction to go, because people haven't seen the true Jesus through much of what the church is doing today. 
Can I get an amen there? People haven't seen the true Jesus because, because let me tell you what we as Christians, we have found ourselves doing. We have found ourselves making fun of those kind of people. We have seen Christians even go on the attack. They don't reveal the true Jesus to the world. And I realize that we might look at some of the things of the world and say, that is completely absurd, Pastor. I don't know how we can stand for it. And I say, you know what? I agree, but they have not found true purpose in Jesus. They keep searching, trying to find answers, and what they're doing is they're going down this path that hurts them time and time and time again. Still searching into their old age. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now it's true that you and I, we must stand on truth. Amen? We must stand on truth. But we are demonstrating Christ's grace in truth. And it's important to make sure that you are not only demonstrating Christ's judgment. The example Christ set was him displaying his love and grace and he was turning hearts toward him and then speaking out for them to then go and sin no more. Okay? And so then all of a sudden, what Jesus did, what that moment did, it caused hearts to then begin to work out their own salvation. You guys following me? Okay. And so often what happens is that we, we get it backwards. We get it backwards. We let the judgment come first, hoping that brings conviction, and then begin to offer grace. The example that Jesus made is the only source of true transformation. So if you think by you bringing condemnation to someone is going to transform them and change them, it's going to only steer them further in the direction they're going. Jesus Christ, he leads us down the right path. And I don't know about you, but I need his guidance in order to succeed. And I want to talk to you for a moment about where that guidance comes from. Because that guidance comes from the word of God. I am telling you guys, it is so vastly important for you not to neglect what scripture has to say in your life. And then from Revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. You have to seek that out on your own. You have to seek that out on your own. You know, so often, I, I don't know how many times when I was in school, I was having difficulty with, a, maybe it was math, and I'd raise my hand, have the teacher come over, you know, and help me work out the problem. And I, I'm sure I uttered more than once, well, can't you just do it for me? <laughs> right? But yet, I had to figure it out for myself. The reason that you need to figure it out for yourself, is it's twofold. The first reason is that you are progressing in your faith toward Christ. We can't have this even plane. We've talked about that quite a bit. But the second is 
that we may recognize attacks from the enemy. Any of you guys like to watch nature shows? Maybe turn on Discovery Channel, National Geographic. I love watching nature shows. And I particularly like watching wildlife in the, in the plains of Africa. And I, I, I'm fascinated with that. And I, I hope I get to go there one day. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by watching what large herds will do together. Because when they typically sense danger, it's usually before the danger is even visible. It's like they know something is going on and they will even stage the herd the best way possible to protect younger and older ones in order to make a quick escape. Now, Typically, we know that if you've watched these shows, it's, it's the younger ones, it's the inexperienced ones that can fall to prey, but, but the, the ones who have experience, the one who focus on their role of protecting the younger ones and pointing out the dangers by the grace of God, as long as they are staying alert, they all make it out safely. You and I, need to be alert and need to be on the watch out because Satan's a predator. I'm going to say it again. Satan is a predator. Think about how he has been described in Scripture every time he's been described as an animal. He was described as a serpent, a lion, and a wolf. And you know, a good predator usually doesn't place its focus on the animal who is healthy, the animal who is wise. What does a good predator who wants a full belly do? They prey on young ones, they prey on the unhealthy, right? Satan's the same way. He's the same way. Whether we are young or maybe you are in the midst of turmoil, that is when Satan steps in. And what he tries to do is he tries to lure you away from God. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Notice those words, stay alert. Because what happens is Satan lulls us into this false sense of security where he might even entice you or he might lure us to a place of comfort. Followers of Christ, I want you to hear me. Comfort's dangerous. Comfort's dangerous. And so instead, what we need to do, we need to be like, like, like the watchmen, like those herds have. We need to be like the watchmen that we are on the lookout Always being diligent and being unrelenting in our pursuit of God. You and I need to do that so that we cannot be swayed no matter what comes against us. Because I don't, I mean, I, I've seen so much lately where there is so much junk happening in people's lives that if we do not remain resolved in the faith and strong, if we don't remain healthy, we could fall prey. We could fall prey. For us to not be swayed, I said it once, I'm going to say it again. You need to be in the Word. You need to be in your Bible. I don't care if you only read one verse a day. 
or four different books a day. Be in the Word and apply it to your heart. The next thing, you need to be devoted in prayer. And I'm not talking about these prayers where you just recite. You know, at the, at the dinner table, we make this joke because, because the prayers always sound the same. It's like, it's like what we need to do in order to eat, right? And, and th- there hasn't been meaning behind it. And I'm always encouraging the kids, we need to have purpose when we pray. We need to talk to God, but we need to listen too. And the next thing, we need to be in discipleship. Are you guys hearing me? Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, that's a big word. I'm kind of new to church. I don't understand what you mean when you say discipleship. And, and let me explain. When I say we need to be in discipleship, we have a bunch of different variations of small groups within this church. We have Wednesday night service where we have adult class. We have kids class. We've got, we got youth over across the way. Sunday mornings, you heard this morning, we've got, we've got three different adult classes going on. And I encourage you to see where you fit in amongst those adult classes. But we've got Sunday school classes for all ages. And that is a form of discipleship. We had our men's group yesterday. We have women's ministry. I'm telling you, we can find ways to get engaged in discipleship. Lastly, and this is what Pastor Kelly introduced today with the idea of taking someone out for lunch, right? We need encouragement. We need encouragement and we need, we need wisdom of this community of believers. I don't know how many times over my life I have called my mentor and said, we need to talk. I need some advice. And there was times I needed encouragement, times I just needed counsel, strength. Praise God, by the way, for those who don't know, Gerald Morris is my mentor. I've known him now for 20-some years. Was his youth pastor for five. And... Uh, they are just finishing up being interim pastors in Oskaloosa, and they will be joining us back again beginning of February. And, you know, yeah. And I, I think about the encouragement needed for the body of Christ. We need to be uplifted by one another. Amen. And that is how we grow. It's how we mature and recognize the attacks of the enemy. Okay? And here's the, here's the next big key. Don't just watch out for yourself. Watch out for everybody. You know, I, I, I'm fascinated with animals, as I've said. I, I don't really like them in my home too much, although we have two. But I, I'm fascinated with animals. And uh, have you ever seen fainting goats? You know why fainting goats were bred? So when a predator was going to attack the flock, they had a few of these fainting goats within that flock, and they would fall down, and they would be the victim, the scapegoat, okay? I'm sorry. This just took a turn. <laughs> and you know what? It's not even in my notes. That was, that was just for your benefit. Um, 
but, but here's the lesson. There are people out there looking out for just themselves. And when you do that, there's going to be some that fall prey. Okay? So us as the body of Christ, this is why it can't just be up to one person. You know, we have a leadership structure here that hopefully everyone can get well connected with one of the leaders in the church. And what I've tried to do, I've tried to pour everything I can into my leaders so that they can lead the best way they possibly can. And I'm telling you guys, the, the goal of this is that we can reach out, we can touch, touch the hearts of every man and woman so that we can lift each other up. And I'm telling you, you don't need to be in just any prominent position to do that. Amen? You don't need to be in a prominent position to do that. It is always good. The time is now to start being an encourager. Now, some of you are hearing me out. And you might ask the question, why would Satan attack me? Why would Satan attack me? And I want to make this abundantly clear. Because I know we're, we're living in a day and age where they want to dismiss the notion of God. They want to dismiss the notion of Satan. And here's the reality. Satan wants to tie your fate to his. His desire, we, we said it earlier, and you can read about this in Isaiah chapter 14. His desire was to be like God himself, and, and the, he, he separated himself in identity completely apart from the Father. And so what God did was God said, not here, and cast him out and out of the splendor of heaven. And so Satan has a sentencing in Hell. I want to read for you Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 17 through 19. Listen to what it says. This is speaking about Satan. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you, you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. You defiled your sanctuaries with your many sins and your dishonest trade. So I brought fire out from within you, and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All who knew you are appalled at your fate. You have come to a terrible end, and you will exist no more. That is Satan's fate. And so I hope what you do is you start to understand his effort and punishment in that one day any, any kind of power or reign that he has on this earth is going to end. His time is going to end. God is going to call for his people. Satan's time is going to end and he is going to be brought to judgment. His goal from the very beginning when he was cast out, was to draw people unto himself. And he does that by luring us through deception. Whether it can be a false teacher or, or a prophet in the church, a false prophet, or painting something evil as good, what he's going to do is he's going to twist God's words and take aim at our natural human desires. Which, by the way, we are naturally rebellious toward God since Adam and Eve in the garden. And Satan attacks you to try and rob you of your eternal purpose. 
And here's the thing, that, that if, if that doesn't pull you away from heaven, maybe it might slow you down or it might stop your uh, uh, ineffectiveness or effectiveness, I should say, from revealing God to other people. That is his goal. So he does that against the body of Christ. And anything that brings glory to God or reveals God to mankind, he hates. So I want you not to take lightly that Satan, he's constantly working and he's constantly mocking God and attacking believers. Now praise God, he's not omnipresent. He doesn't have that power. He doesn't have power over God. He doesn't have power over Jesus Christ. You stand on the word and truth of Jesus Christ and you can't be overcome. Because he knows, at the end of the day, he knows Jesus has the victory and he has paved the way for you and me. And so his only goal is to get in between that. Lastly and most importantly, I want to talk about the shepherd's role. The shepherd's role. Jesus painted a picture so clear. He says, the shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. Now, you you may have heard that Jesus Christ was a sacrifice for you and I so that our sins can be forgiven. He was that perfect sacrifice. This sacrifice, what it did was, it took place once and for all, but this sacrifice, here's the cool thing, it remains for all those who choose to believe. It's not just a one-time thing as in the Old Testament where you did one sacrifice and then you went on and, and, and you, you, you sinned again and next thing you know, you need another sacrifice. Jesus Christ remains. So there is an opportunity for you today. Even if you said at one time, Pastor, I believed in Jesus, I've stepped away. I, I understand that that can happen. But here's the thing I know, that when you have a heart that longs to be like Christ, longs to be with Christ, that if you cry out to him and you say, Lord, I recognize what I have done is sinful, you'll be forgiven. You'll be forgiven. When you're feeling the draw, when you're feeling conviction of sin, that is the voice and truth that Jesus Christ is leading you into purpose. And all of a sudden, he begins to draw you in, and he's drawing you in because he wants to lead you to peace and freedom. Amen. He wants to lead you to those things. So you as God's creation and Jesus Christ as your sacrifice, that is God's love on full display to you and I. It can't get any more clear than that. John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That tug on your heart, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And what he's trying to do is, he's trying to save you from eternal damnation. That's the work of God. Trust that Jesus wants you free from all sin and all bondage. He wants you to embrace purpose and follow him because what is truly good, I guarantee you everything that is truly good on the face of this earth, it flows from the throne room of God. Everything that is good. And Jesus was sent from heaven's court for you.
all for you to discover that not only did God create you, but he wants to enter into relationship with you. Where you will hear his voice and you will begin to recognize him and know his will for your life. And that's lastly where I want to leave off. He said another one of his roles is to know you and for you to know him. God has been involved in your life since the beginning of creation. And I want you to hear something. I want you to hear me very clearly. Some of you in this room came into this world under difficult circumstances. You might not have been brought to this world with intent on your parents. But God intended. God foreknew. He knew that you would be living, breathing from his breath. He knew that you would be created. Listen, to, and, and if that is you, I want you to listen to this. Psalm 139, 13 through 14. He, this is David. He says, you made, he's talking to God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You are here right now. You are here today because God intended it. And what he is doing is he's drawing us into covenant relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. He has done everything for you. He has done absolutely everything for you. So all that you have to do is accept his son and we are then made his children. John chapter one, verse 12 says, but all who believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. What I've found is that if you find purpose in anything outside of God to direct any part of your life, there's going to remain an emptiness. Because anything outside of the realm of God does not last. It decays, it fades away. It doesn't last. But God has brought us today safety and comfort through the peace and presence of his son. And he sacrificed himself voluntarily, he said. He spoke this so clearly so that you might be free. And church, I'm telling you, no love can compare to that. It can't. This week I went to a, a funeral in Ohio. And um, it was for an 80-year-old man who had been a part of many missions trips around the world with MOVE. And we were just there to honor him. And the pastor who was leading the service has become a friend of mine. And he's talking about this man's faithfulness to the Lord and how he's served Christ everywhere and, and done all these things. And, and he said something very pointed to the family. He spoke to them directly. He says, Jerry believed to live is Christ and to die is gain. He believed that. He lived that. 
And he's like, what an awkward phrase that we, we hear that, to live is Christ, to die is gain, which is taken directly from the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. And you see what it ultimately says, that without Christ, this world is scared of death. It's absolutely terrified of death. It's scared of what death offers, the unknowns, or, or whatever awaits us on the other side. But here's the thing, you and I, have this good shepherd. We have this good shepherd in Jesus Christ who has paved the way for us that we recognize that true life, real life is only found in him. And to die is even better. Because then we have been called into our true purpose and reward. You see, life on this earth, it's so short. It's so short. But I believe that if God has given you breath, if God has brought you to life, then he's been calling you out up to now. He's been calling you out. And he's been offering you to come to him. You who are weak and weary, come to him and he will give you rest. If you just accept his son, Jesus Christ, that you can have this peace and freedom in your life. That's the work of God through his son, Jesus Christ. I want everyone to just bow your heads. Think to yourselves. Reflect and focus on your own life for a moment. I've been through many ebbs and flows in this life. Times where I've been really close with God, times where I've been far away. And what I know, he's been there the whole time. It, it was me. It was me that was far away. And there was time after time where God kept calling me out. He's like, Aaron, I'm working on you. I haven't left. And so I come to embrace him for who he is. He is faithful. He is true. He is just gracious and merciful. 